And we start the show with breaking news. The Philadelphia Eagles have signed LeGarrette Blunt. Yes, I hope you drafted LeGarrette Blunt in your way too early redraft leagues in April and May. Saw a lot of people sneaking in that LeGarrette Blunt at the end of MFL 10s. Very, very savvy because he becomes the favorite for early down work in Philadelphia. It's great, right? It's great. Bye, Wendell Smallwood. Bye. Bye. We should get Evan Silva on the line. We talked to Evan Silva last year. I said, you need to tell me when to pick up Wendell Smallwood. I'm relying on you, Evan. Give me the signal when to pick up Wendell Smallwood. And the signal never arrived. LeGarrette Blunt goes to Philadelphia, and I'm not excited about LeGarrette Blunt to Philadelphia. Of course, when he's being drafted at the end of a draft, you want LeGarrette Blunt, who's going to be the primary ball carrier for an NFL franchise. Of course, you want that. But LeGarrette Blunt's ADP is going to rise very quickly, and I believe it will get to a place that I'm no longer interested because LeGarrette Blunt is 30 years old. He was a game script and touchdown reliant running back last year. No one played with a lead more frequently than the New England Patriots last year, and they ran 482 run plays. LeGarrette Blunt's 71 red zone carries was number one in the NFL. He's not going to come anywhere close to that. And even with 71 red zone carries last year, he was not an RB1 in fantasy. Even with 18 touchdowns, not an RB1 in fantasy. Why? Inefficient, 3.9 yards per touch. Not a pass catcher, only seven receptions. So he's touchdown reliant and game flow reliant. And that's fine when you're on the New England Patriots. It's not when you're on the Philadelphia Eagles and your quarterback is Carson Wentz, a second-year quarterback who was very much trick-or-treat in 2017. We don't know what we're going to get with Carson Wentz. We don't know what the Eagles are going to be. They signed a bunch of free agents, but that's not normally the path to winning in the NFL going out and signing a bunch of splash free agents. Torrey Smith, Alshon Jeffrey. That's not it. Their offensive line needs to improve, and Carson Wentz needs to improve dramatically for LeGarrette Blunt to have any hope of significant red zone touches this year. I don't like his chances. I don't think the Philadelphia Eagles will be playing with a lead very often, and I don't see him coming anywhere close to those red zone carries that he enjoyed last year. I I think LeGarrette Blunt is a 10 fantasy points per game running back. Replacement level guy, that's great to get in the later rounds, but not someone I'm interested in in the middle rounds when I can draft a running back with significantly more upside. Someone with real ability, someone with juice. LeGarrette Blunt's juke rate, evaded tackles per touch, 23.5 last year. Outside the top 30, breakaway run rate, runs of 15 yards or farther per touch, 3.7%. Outside the top 30 again. So he's not breaking long runs. He's not breaking tackles. That's a problem on a team that's not the New England Patriots. You saw LeGarrette Blunt in the Super Bowl, completely irrelevant. You're going to get a lot more irrelevant LeGarrette Blunt performances in Philadelphia than you did in New England last year. But it's great news for those New England running backs because it gives us clarity. We no longer have the specter of LeGarrette Blunt hanging over that backfield. Now we can focus on Mike Gillisley. Yes, Mike Gillisley is the running back to own in New England. He just signed a two-year, $6.4 million contract in the offseason. That's good. I can't believe I'm saying that, but that actually is good for a running back. 
Rex Burkhead only signed a $3.15 million contract. So Rex Burkhead's on a one-year deal. Gillisley's on a two-year deal. Just looking at the contract figures, Gillisley should be slotted in ahead of Rex Burkhead on the depth chart. What about Dion Lewis? Well, Dion Lewis is the incumbent, but Dion Lewis struggled last year. It's amazing to say he struggled when he posted 4.7 yards per touch. It's not bad, but negative 22.0 production premium, 72nd in the league. The production premium is that situation agnostic efficiency metric, looking at all the given down and distances. How did Dion Lewis perform against league average in those same situations? Very poorly. Broke zero runs last year, but he was very elusive. 32.1% juke rate that was top 10 in the NFL. And in 2015, Deion Lewis was the most elusive running back in the NFL. I think Deion Lewis has the most upside, and I think Mike Gillisley has the highest floor. And Rex Burkhead is somewhere in between. I think ideally Deion Lewis is healthy, and he's the early down ball carrier in New England. Mike Gillisley is the change of pace back. Rex Burkhead is the utility back, the Brandon Bolden plus do-it-all player, special teams, H-back, fullback, halfback. Everything. That's not great for fantasy, though. So I think if the backfield is completely healthy to start the season, I prefer Deion Lewis. The problem is I don't like Deion Lewis's chances to stay healthy because that's been his problem throughout his career. He's going to be 27 years old this season, and he's been cut with injury settlements by other teams in the NFL, and he's only been healthy for 30% of New England's games last two seasons. He's 5'7", 193 pounds. He's tiny. He cannot absorb an every-down workload, but Mike Gillisley absolutely can, and Rex Burkhead absolutely can. So I think if he can stay healthy, Deion Lewis starts the season as the de facto starter with Mike Gillisley essentially splitting early down work with Deion Lewis. Now, what about James White? Well, James White is not a between-the-tackles runner. James White's heavier than Deion Lewis, 205 pounds, but his college dominator at Wisconsin, only 13.2%. So he wasn't a workhorse at the college level. There's no reason to ever expect James White to perform like a workhorse at the NFL level. He only had 39 carries last year. It feels like James White had more carries in the Super Bowl than he did in the regular season. He is a satellite back in the two-minute drill, and in comeback mode, James White will be on the field. But as we saw last year, you can expect the Patriots to enjoy significantly positive game script, and that will relegate James White in many games. We talk about the blunt game versus the white game, the blunt game versus the Vereen game. There's going to be very few James White games. Think about how many matchups that New England's going to face this coming season, where you're going to say, oh yeah, great idea, let's play James White. New England should be losing this game in the second half. (laughs) Right! Right! Yeah, sure. Go ahead, name the game. Good luck. So James White's the one running back I'm not drafting. What I am going to do is draft all the others. I'm drafting Deion Lewis because he's the least expensive. I'm drafting Mike Gillisley because I think he has an RB1 ceiling as the primary back. And he also has a high floor because I think he'll start the season in a timeshare regardless and be fantasy relevant even if all four backs are healthy. And I'm also drafting Rex Burkhead because he's not expensive. And if anything happens to Mike Gillisley or Deion Lewis, Rex Burkhead enters the committee and he's getting red zone touches on a team that led the NFL in red zone visits last year and finished top three in run plays. This is all we're looking for. We're looking for cheap running backs on offenses that will experience and enjoy significant positive game flow. That's all we're looking for. And the beauty of drafting Deion Lewis and Mike Gillisley and Rex Burkhead is you're getting three zero RB running backs 
that are all each other's handcuff. If any of those running backs gets hurt or is ineffective, the other running back will necessarily gain opportunity share. So you get the ceiling of all three players risk-free. That's a no-brainer. The other no-brainer is playing fantasy football on Reality Sports Online. I love Reality Sports Online because it provides sophistication without the complexity. As a commissioner, it's much easier to set up leagues on Reality Sports Online, but they give you lots of flexibility. You can have a 32-team league and mimic the experience of being an NFL general manager because the people at Reality Sports Online are former front office staff. So there's an innovative auction room for free agency. There's a salary cap. There's contract functionality. Go to Reality Sports Online. Use the promo code UNDERWORLD. Set up a league today. Fantasy football just got real at Reality Sports Online. And I want to talk to my guest today, Ben Cummins, about this New England backfield. I haven't told him this. We'll see if he's smart enough to bring it up on his own. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Ben Cummins FF. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program, Ben Cummins. Ben Cummins is a writer for, uh, wait for it, wait for it, uh, playerprofiler.com and the Fantasy Footballers and the FF Authority and two QBs. He's one of the young, up-and-coming phenom writers in the industry sitting down with me today on the Roto Underworld Radio Program. Ben Cummins, talk to me. Matthew, what's up, man? You know, I just finished grad school and I was showered, you know, with some gifts from family and stuff like that. But I have to say, this is the best gift of them all. Gift of them all. I'm excited to talk with you tonight. You're on the Underworld Pod, Ben. Congratulations. I love it. Pumped. Things are happening, right? Yeah, man. Trying to move up. This is the equivalent of the Howard Stern show for comedians going on the Mind of Mansion show with Matt Kelly. You've made it, Ben. You've made it. Everything else from here, it's downhill, really. You're just (laughs) slalom skiing down the hill at this point. You're at the top of the mountain looking out Roto Underworld Radio, and we have a question for you. Who were the three biggest incumbent winners from the NFL draft? Who won big on draft night? So I'm going to start with Mike Wallace, and I'm going to sneak in Brashad Perriman too, so I'm going to sneak him in. No, that's very important, though. It's very important you start with Mike Wallace and then talk about Brashad Perriman because the reflex reaction is start with Brashad Perriman, the guy with the sexy athleticism, the young player with all the potential. But it's actually Mike Wallace that we should be focusing on, correct? That's exactly what I want to do. So Perryman's wide receiver 51, which is great value in its own right. But Wallace is wide receiver 53 on MFL 10. uh, That's his ADP? He's off the board outside the top 50 wide receivers. Off the top 50. He's done it before, which is why I want to focus on him. I know we're in crazy, you know, got to love rookie season. And Perryman kind of falls into that because we still haven't seen him do a ton. They lost targets. All of Steve Smith's targets have been vacated and they lost Kamar Aiken. What am I missing with Mike Wallace? How is he not rising, not falling out of the top 50? How is this possible? I don't know. And I've been somebody that has been on, you know, Mike Wallace hatred in the past. But shout out to you and Rich Rebar for inventing take lock. I think I am not falling victim to take lock. And that's exactly what I think is happening right now. We look at Mike Wallace, the name, and we just think it's boring. But the dude is going to bring you stats and fantasy. In fairness, three years 
of highly inefficient football. Two years in Miami, one year in Minnesota. That happened. Okay, that happened. It looked like he may have bottomed out in Minnesota, but he resurrected his career last year. So you're saying focus on 2016 in Baltimore. Don't think about what happened in Miami and Minnesota. Yeah, well, and he had, you know, one or two good years in Miami there too, but he was the wide receiver 22 last season, Matt. 72 for over 1,000 yards and four touchdowns. And like you said, now 200 targets are vacated. Steve Smith, the big one, being gone. And the Ravens threw the most passes last season out of anyone. So this dude is a streaming value, and Perryman is as well. But I'm more interested in Wallace. And at that late of a value, I'm... Over 700 pass targets last year. They threw the ball more than 700 times in Baltimore. That's an exceptional number. I don't know if anyone has ever thrown the ball 712 times in the history of the NFL. We should pull that statistic at some point. We should go check it out. But he also only had four touchdowns. So he's going to experience positive touchdown regression. And he's going to absorb copious vacated targets. And the only receiver he has to compete with for targets on the depth chart is a wide receiver with high round draft capital and an exceptional size adjusted athletic profile that has never been an NFL producer. Like he's the only true NFL producer on that entire depth chart. Yeah, exactly. And I think Chris Moore is an interesting late round guy, but you know, that's way late. Danny Woodhead's coming in. He's definitely going to take some of those targets and he's an interesting guy too, because the Ravens love to throw to the running back. But regardless, I don't think many people realize how much the Ravens threw the ball last year. And so that volume is going to be there, whether he's inefficient or not. And we know volume is king for wide receivers. Whoa, the reason why, no, we're going to stay here. Hey, hey, Ben, Ben, how it works on the Roto Underworld pod is we relax. Just relax, buddy. Just chill. We'll get to your next guy. And we get time. We got all the time in the world. You have to be somewhere? Absolutely not, man. I don't have to be be anywhere. I live for Roto Underworld Radio. This is my life. I don't go anywhere. My whole calendar is wide open. As soon as this show starts, I have an infinite amount, well, not infinite, but virtually an infinite amount of time to talk about football players with you, Ben Cummins. Let's marinate on this Mike Wallace situation because Mike Wallace's reputation has been inefficient wide receiver for good reason because the three years before he landed in Baltimore were highly inefficient according to all the advanced metrics we have on playerprofiler.com but there's an interesting efficiency metric called target premium and that looks at a wide receiver's per target efficiency against the other receivers in the passing game in that way it factors out quarterback play it's the Kenny Britt metric Kenny Britt was top five in target premium last year. It factored out the quarterback play. And when you did that, you realized, oh, wow, Kenny Britt was much more efficient than anyone realized in 2016. Well, the same is true for Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace's target premium plus 12.2%. That was top 25 in the NFL last year. And he only dropped 2.6% of his passes. His catch rate was over 60%. And the guy that's been accused throughout his career of dropping too many passes dropped less than 3% of his targets. So he's looking at a volume boon in 2017 coming off an efficient season. This is something we always like. This is the formula. I mean, this is it. This is what fantasy footballers look for. An efficient wide receiver who will be 
receiving a target boost, a volume enhancement the following year. I mean, that's how fantasy football leagues are won, is identifying those receivers. And Mike Wallace is that guy. He won the NFL draft because, A, they didn't draft any wide receivers to compete with he and Brashad Perriman in the passing game. And B, well, they did, but not any wide receivers of consequence, I should say. And they didn't draft any running backs. So what do they have at running back? Terrence West? A suspended Kenneth Dixon? Javorius Allen? Child, please. They're going to be passing a lot again. Yeah, no, totally agree, man. And again, I think, you know, too many people fall into the trap of drafting names when really what we're drafting is the end of the season production. And regardless of what you think about Wallace and what you've thought about him in his career, and again, like I said, I've been part of the Mike Wallace hatred. I've, I've said this dude is washed. But if you just look at the situation, the opportunity that's going to come his way, it's too good to pass up uh, at a value like that. You know, I have in the past, you know, bit fallen victim of saying I'm not going to draft this guy when really it mat it, it totally 100% matters where you can get them and if you can get them at a value it doesn't even matter um, if you don't like the guy you know DeMarco Murray was a guy last year that I really didn't like I wasn't on him the year before in Philadelphia and that obviously worked out well but then when you could have got that discount for a guy that was going to be the number one running back for Tennessee last year. And especially in leagues where I was doing zero RB, you could get could have got this guy in like the sixth, seventh round. At that point, you have to look at it and say, even if you don't like the player, is the value too good to pass up? And obviously we saw what happened with DeMarco last year. And I think it's similar with Mike Wallace this season. Now, Mike Wallace's target share was not particularly impressive last year. 17.5% target share or target market share, if I want to add the superfluous market in there for no fucking reason. His target share last year was 17.5%. Again, not impressive, 53rd in the NFL. But that was with Steve Smith and Kamar Aiken in the passing game. They're gone, replaced by who do they draft? If I'm not mistaken, I believe they drafted Rodney Adams. No, that was that was Minnesota. Minnesota drafted Rodney Adams. So they didn't even draft Rodney Adams. They don't even have Rodney Adams. I thought they drafted Rodney Adams, but they don't have Rodney Adams. So let's break the news on the show right now. The Baltimore Ravens did not, I repeat, did not draft Rodney Adams. They drafted... They nobody. So now, okay, understanding over 100 targets have been vacated and Baltimore will be a pass heavy team yet again in 2017. But let's not project them to lead the league in pass attempts. No, that's extreme. Let's hypothesize that their run game improves slightly. Their defense improves slightly. They throw less. They throw, let's say, over 30 less times, 680 targets. Well, if Mike Wallace merely posts a 20% target share on 680 targets, that comes to 136 targets. He posted 12.6 fantasy points per game on only 117 targets last year. 7.3 targets per game. Boost that to 8 targets a game and factor in some positive touchdown regression. He looks like a 15 fantasy points per game wide receiver in 2017. In the 50s, ADP. I don't know how you don't love that. I I don't know. I don't. I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I
I just short-circuited. My whole body just short-circuited. I did the same thing first time I saw it, the ADP. Where's Brashad Perriman? What's his ADP? Uh, he's right there with him. He's wide receiver 51. Both of these guys are in the 50s. Equally absurd. Can't you just draft them both? Can't you just draft the duo and ensure that you're going to soak up lots of targets? One of the two will be a fantasy WR2 at least? Absolutely, you can do that. And like you said, you can if one of these guys goes off, which both of them should be valuable, where you can get them at least right now, if you take both of them and you ensure that you're probably going to have a wide receiver two out of one of them, that's worth it. Do you know who could cannibalize some of the targets in that passing game, a wide receiver we have not talked about yet? I do know who you're going to talk about. I'll let you say his name. Michael Campanaro. Michael Campanaro, the wide receiver that I hoped would break out in 2016. I didn't forecast him to break out. I hoped it was a plea to Kevin Cole on my show late last summer to stand with me in support of Michael Campanaro. And of course, Kevin Cole mocked me, ridiculed the idea (laughs) that Michael Campanaro would be fantasy relevant. But I explained that Michael Campanaro is equipped with a special breakout alert system and that me and me alone, I and I alone, have access to this breakout alert system. There is a little bug that has been planted in my ear, and it will start to repeat the name. Campanaro, Campanaro, Campanaro. Only when Michael Campanaro is about to break out. So everyone in the Roto Underworld Radio community, everyone that follows me on Twitter, at Fantasy underscore Mansion, stay tuned. Be aware. Because I will let you know on the show, I will let you know on Twitter, when is the right time, the precise time to pick up Michael Campanaro because you don't need to draft him in seasonal leagues at this moment. He's going undrafted in MFL 10s at the moment. There's no need to draft him, but he's one of those players you absolutely need to have on your radar. And luckily, I have an alert system already in place for Michael Campanaro. Campanaro, Campanaro, Campanaro. I'm going to be listening, man. You didn't prepare to talk about Campanaro today. I know, I know. (laughs) But what if I asked you to talk to me about Michael Campanaro? What would you say? What if you were Michael Campanaro's attorney and you had to defend him in a court of law? What would be the defense? Why should we pay attention to this player? Well, I know that you don't love this rebuttal, but I'll just go ahead and say it again like I said a couple weeks ago. Um, If Adam Humphreys of all players can be relevant on Tampa Bay last year, because of all the opportunity that was available with Vincent Jackson dying. Vincent Jackson died? You know, fantasy terms. You know, we had the funeral for him. Oh, but, but he's still alive technically, right? Yeah, he's still alive as far as I know. But in terms oh, of fantasy, Jesus, he basically man. fell off. <laughs> oh my Sorry God. to break the news to you like that. Wow. He basically fell off a cliff last year. He fell off a cliff? Yes, and luckily he did not die. It was, uh, oh. it, it was pretty crazy. But because of that... <laughs> Was there water underneath? Is that why? Was he in Acapulco or something? Yeah, yeah. And luckily it wasn't uh, it wasn't too shallow either. So because of all of that, Adam Humphreys actually was relevant at times last season. And I mean, Michael Campanaro is so much better than Humphreys. I mean, give me a break. Yeah, he has a much better profile, right? And so Michael Campanaro was one of the most dominant Division 1A wide receivers we have in the playerprofiler.com database. 59.5% dominator rating is 98th percentile. That's right up there with Demarius Thomas level dominance (laughs) for a Power 5 conference wide receiver. 
That's incredible. You know what a Spark X score is? That Nike athleticism metric that looks across all the athleticism components and aggregates them into one singular athleticism metric. Michael Campanaro's Spark X score on playerprofiler.com, 128.9, 96th percentile. Wow. <laughs> excuse me say what so yes he's very good he's just been incredibly unlucky with injuries it happens yeah guys get hurt early in their career and injuries heal so we're gonna roll out michael campanaro again in preseason see how he does and he could be the raven slot receiver i have michael campanaro as the favorite to be the starting slot receiver in three receiver sets for the baltimore ravens he fits that profile perfectly yeah i like it and again with all that opportunity up for grabs that's why he can be relevant and he profiles much better as an athlete like you just said than a guy like humphreys who did some of it last year yeah with zero athleticism who's your other guy who's your next guy on the list uh, so the next guy for me who was an incumbent winner was Eric Ebron. Um, he's only 24 years old, okay? And we know it takes a while for these tight ends to produce. And so I don't know why so many are quick, so quick to, to you know, throw Eric Ebron away. Um, there was so much talk about the, the Lions drafting a high-end tight end uh, in this draft. And that didn't really make any sense to me, but you kept hearing the news for months and then it didn't happen. And so because of that, Eric Ebron is, you know, has tons of opportunity in a high volume passing offense, catching passes from Matt Stafford. Again, he's he's just 24, really probably just coming into his own. His catches and yards have gone up all three seasons. Every year. Every year. He's been getting better and better. He's developing. Yes, exactly. Drops were down. Catch rate was up. What am I missing with Eric Ebron? He's good. I don't know. He's good. He's athletic. He's a top 10 pick. The worst thing that ever happened to Eric Ebron was being a top 10 pick. Yes. Because it established an expectation that no tight end can possibly meet. It's the most complicated position on the football field after quarterback. There's a slow development cycle because tight ends have to learn all the blocking assignments of a lineman and the route tree of a wide receiver. Think about it. They have twice as much to learn. So naturally, it takes more time for them to develop. Zach Miller on the Bears did not ascend to fantasy relevance until he was 30. Think about that. Most of these tight ends take years to develop, but Eric Ebron was never afforded that luxury, and he fought through it. So to me, he's shown great perseverance. He's a player I admire because of that. Yeah, I totally agree. And you can get him at tight end 12 in MFL 10s right now. I really like that value. Um, And I see him continuing to ascend. And who's ahead of him on the ADP? Who? Who's ahead of him? Hunter Henry? So Martellus Bennett's ahead of him. Zach Ertz is ahead of him. And, you know, Philly just brought in Alshon Jeffrey, Torrey Smith. Jordan Matthews gets to play back in the slot. He's he's even shared a little bit of time with other tight ends on that roster. Trey Burton, Selleck. Delaney, yeah, Hunter Henry is ahead of him. Okay, that's wrong. That's that's right there. That's what we need right there. That's where we should focus. Yes. The arbitrage on Eric Ebron over Hunter Henry. Get out of here. Yes, to- totally agree. Hunter Henry's not even the starting tight end. I mean, fantasy football isn't hard. It's just not hard. You take Eric Ebron over Hunter Henry. Easy. Who's next? And then the, my next one would be Amir Abdullah. So I'm sticking with the same team. Um, but again, Detroit did not bring in a running back. Many people thought they were going to bring in a high-end guy. They did not do it. Didn't. Just like Ebron is young, Amir Abdullah 
is only going to be 24, and he got hurt last year after a disappointing rookie year based on all of the hype. But that's all we've seen from this guy. So this is a guy who is going to be the starting running back for a good offense, and you can get the injury discount on him based on recency bias because nobody saw him play last year. But he's going to be the starter in a good offense, and he also has a very good um, profile on this website called Player Profiler. Don't know if you heard of it. I have heard of it. It's pretty good. It's okay. Yeah, it's, okay. it's pretty nice, man. Yeah, 80th right. percentile college dominator, 72nd percentile yards per carry. Ooh, he was incredible during his time at Nebraska. Woof. Exactly. And not much has changed. He's still that same um, electric prospect. We just haven't seen much from him. 98th percentile burst score, 98th percentile agility score. There's a lot to like here, oh. and because Detroit oh. didn't bring in a back, um, I like him, and he's another guy you can get at a value. I gotta take my shirt off. While Eric Ebron draft stock set an unfair expectation, Amir Abdullah's rookie year training camp and preseason set an unfair expectation on him. Yes, exactly. His preseason became a burden. He looked so electric. His ADP in 2015 was a helium balloon. It started in round 10. It went to round 9, round 8, round 7, round 6. With every preseason performance, it rose around 5, 4. He was going in the fourth round by the end of fantasy draft season in 2015. He could not live up to those expectations. So now, like Mike Wallace before, Amir Abdullah has a damaged brand. And that's what we want to do. We want to identify good players with increased opportunity in 2017 and damaged brands holding down their ADP. Because that's what you have to ask yourself. Is the negative sentiment surrounding this player real or imagined? Exactly. Is it just a damaged brand or are there real problems with this player's past performance? I don't see problems with Amir Abdullah. All I see are green lights. And you talked about recency bias. Yes. Which also provides him with an injury discount. And that's part of his damaged brand is the injury-prone label that he's been unfairly given. So give me two players that you believe are the most irrationally infused with recency bias across all formats. So I'm going to stick with that injury thing and talk about two wide receivers that were injured last year, and I think you can get them at a value because of it. Uh, And the first guy I want to talk about is Eric Decker. Um, He's wide receiver 40 in MFL 10 ADP right now. And literally, again, like Abdullah, the only thing that he did wrong last season was get injured, right? Prior to that, this dude had five straight years of either eight touchdowns or at least 900 yards in every single season. And so, again, recency bias, not giving into that small sample and looking at what this dude has done year in and year out. He has been a producer, and he didn't just do that, have that production with just Peyton Manning, right? Tim Tebow was thrown in there. Ryan Fitzpatrick was thrown in there. Geno Smith was thrown in there. So he's gotten it done with poor quarterback play. And you've talked about many times there's a chance that he gets cut because the Jets are in full-blown tank mode and he could go to a better situation. But we don't know if that's going to happen. So let's just focus on if he stays in New York for a second. He's done it before with poor quarterback play, which is, again, admittedly what he'll have again this year. But Brandon Marshall is gone. And the team is going to be terrible, which means there's going to be a ton of positive game flow involved, which means there's going to be a ton of volume for a guy like Eric Decker, who has done it year in and year out before. And again, I think this is how 
you win leagues like we're talking about. You identify players that are going at a value for the wrong reasons. You get that value and you take advantage. And Decker going that late is a guy that you should be able to plug in and get solid production from. I hear people arguing for Quincy Anunua. I love Quincy Anunua. I'm the original. I like him too. Quincy Anunua enthusiast. I was drafting Quincy Anunua across all leagues in 2014, and I've had him stashed on taxi squads for years, only to finally reap the benefits last year, and I'm enjoying all of my legacy Quincy Anunua. And no, they're not shares. It's just Quincy Anunua. <laughs> I don't have Quincy Anunua shares. I just own Quincy Anunua on my fantasy team. I don't run a hedge fund portfolio with stocks and bonds. It's just fantasy football. I'm not that self-important to call them shares. Get out of here. I own them as well. I like Quincy Anunua too, but Decker, solid. But now the Quincy Anunua enthusiasm has blown past even mine. It's now become this irrational exuberance where you see these reverse engineered arguments rationalizing Quincy Anunua's rising ADP and the claim that he is the Jets' number one wide receiver. I mean, he's not. <laughs> right, exactly. The reasoning is, well, you know, Eric Decker's not back 100% yet. Well, uh, c- correct, it's May. He may not be 100% healthy now, but most individuals that get surgery in December, January, unless it's reconstructive knee surgery, are back by the start of the season. So I don't know where this rumor came from that Eric Decker's likely to miss the start of the season. That That's not right. I've not read that anywhere, and I don't know where that's coming from. And that's just coming from those that, for some reason, have decided, okay, I love Quincy Anunua. You're late to the party, by the way, but that's fair. It's great. I'm glad you like Quincy Anunua. It's great. Good for you. But he's not their number one wide receiver. I mean, come on! And I also think that the Jets are a great candidate to add Colin Kaepernick because they're not rebuilding. They have a win-now defense. They have veterans. Matt Forte, Eric Decker. This is a team that wants to compete. They can't because they don't have a quarterback, but I think they want to compete. I think eventually, after seeing what they have in training camp and realizing, oh no, we can't. We can't go to battle with these guys. It's an imposition on every player on the roster that the front office would be so cavalier as to start Bryce Petty or Christian Hackenberg. Right. That's insulting. That's disrespectful to all the members of both the offense and defense who are out there risking their bodies to win football games. With Colin Kaepernick raising his hand saying, I want to work in the NFL and my salary demands are not high. Right. Dave Zirin of The Nation interviewed Colin Kaepernick and refuted all of the rumors that his asking price is too high and he's demanding to be a starter. None of that's true. He just wants to play and he doesn't have huge salary demands or a starting quarterback designation requirement. So given that, of all the teams in the NFL, the team that is most sorely lacking quarterback talent are the New York Jets. So they are obligated to sign Colin Kaepernick. And if they sign Colin Kaepernick and they don't cut Eric Decker, Eric Decker becomes one of the most entrenched number one wide receivers on any depth chart across the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. I like that take, man. And even if it doesn't happen, Josh McCown will be fine for the two games that he's healthy. Kaepernick to Decker or McCown to Decker. Either one, to me, is exciting. There's no more Brandon Marshall. Eric Decker was the number 12 fantasy wide receiver in 2015, sharing a field with Brandon Marshall with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. 
Whoever they get back there, whoever's taking snaps under center for the Jets this year, he's not going to be significantly worse than Ryan Fitzpatrick. This is a WR1 in fantasy we're talking about, and Eric Decker, he's only 30 years old. He's not washed. And although I think Colin Kaepernick, if if Kaepernick does go there, although I think he's limited as a passer, the one player you know, that he made relevant last year was Jeremy Curley and Eric Decker running those shallow routes, he would be able to find Decker. Oh, it's just going to be cap to Decker, cap to Decker, cap to Decker, cap to Decker all day long. All day long. Also, the NFL is going to have to step in eventually. There's a lot of bad press, accusations of colluding, accusations of blackballing. And now that it's come out that Kaepernick's salary demands are not particularly onerous. Yeah. Because the NFL exists in this strange legal space, when you think about antitrust and their classification as a nonprofit, the NFL could be sued by the NFL Players Association if Colin Kaepernick is not awarded employment. You cannot discriminate against someone because of their religious views, because of their sexual orientation. It's not just bad PR, it's actually illegal. But regardless, even if just for PR reasons, the NFL does not want Colin Kaepernick to be a free agent when the season starts. Now, we talked about the three biggest incumbent winners from the NFL draft. Give me three of the biggest incumbent losers from the NFL draft. Yeah, so I'm going to start off with Cameron Bray. Um, And I'm a big NFL DFS guy. Shout out to all the DGENs out there. All right, we know Cameron Bray. We get it. Cameron Bray lost his job to O.J. Howard. Exactly. The moment the O.J. Howard draft pick came in, I channeled Cameron Brait and I started crying because I knew that he was somewhere, wherever he was, wherever Cameron Brait was at the time, whether he's watching it at home, on his television, or on his phone, he broke down into tears. He may not be a starting tight end ever again. Poor Cameron Brait. Give me someone else, someone less obvious. So how's Rob Kelly for you? Yeah, talk about Rob Kelly. How did Rob Kelly lose? So I'm a big Samaje P. Ryan fan. And um, again, Rob Kelly was a guy last year who benefited from a very shallow depth chart and a lot of opportunity. Matt Jones was supposed to be the guy. He ended up becoming inactive most weeks. And Rob Kelly was just the guy that was there. And he was fine. But now they bring in Samaje P. Ryan, who I really like. Um, and I see him getting the job sooner rather than later. Uh, I think if there is a 2017 Jordan Howard, I think it's P. Ryan. And amazingly enough, that's his uh, best play- best comparable player on Player Profiler. Yeah, he's like a strong Jordan Howard. Jordan Howard's not particularly strong. If Jordan Howard was muscular, he would look like Samaj P. Ryan. Yeah, P. Ryan destroyed the combine on the bench press. Um, and here's the thing, okay? Obesity is determined by body mass index. And Fat Rob has a BMI in the 80th percentile. But Samaj P. Ryan has a BMI in the 91st percentile. So I'm here to say it's Fat Samaje time, baby. Um, This dude is a bowling ball. His compact body allows for good balance and efficient choppy steps. He plays with patience, but at the same time, he gets north-south really quickly, finishes runs with power, uh, and I just really like him as a prospect. And again, it's, it's so tough to see it happening, right? But uh, Rob Kelly was just the beneficiary of wide open opportunity. It goes back to what I was saying about writing a our DFS column every week about injuries that happen and allow for guys to step up and be cheap values. Well, Rob Kelly was in this um, you know lucky situation where he got to basically benefit from that type of uh, situation all year. 
But that's over now that Samaje Pirine's there. At the very least, Pirine's going to share touches, but I can see a situation where he takes over at some point and just really ruins uh, Rob Kelly's consistent fantasy value altogether. Yeah, the problem with Rob Kelly is they drafted a redundant asset in Samaje Pirine, and that redundant asset is better across the board than he is. Exactly. Now, the argument for Rob Kelly is that coaches love him because of the intangibles. The intangibles, well, intangibles, intangibles. Rob Kelly, they love Rob Kelly. Love Fat Rob, Fat Rob, Fat Rob. Fat Samaje. I agree with that. Fat Samaje. It doesn't have quite the ring to it, but it's more accurate because Samaje Pirine has the higher BMI. But when you look at Rob Kelly's production last year, it was red zone driven. His opportunity share, the opportunity share on playerprofiler.com is a player's share of the running back carries and running back targets. So Rob Kelly's share of the RB targets and carries last year was only 46.7% because early in the season it was Matt Jones and he was sharing the backfield with Chris Thompson on passing downs and Washington passes a lot. So 46.7% opportunity share, 41st in the NFL, but his red zone carries, 34 15th in the NFL. So he was outside the top 40 in opportunity share, but in the top 15 in red zone carries. That's the situation that Samaj P. Ryan is walking into. It's very easy to imagine Samaj P. Ryan slowly supplanting Rob Kelly throughout preseason and into the season. I think that Rob Kelly will be the starter in weeks one and two. He'll be the de facto starter in name only, but you'll see Samaj P. Ryan slowly cannibalize those touches as the coaches see, okay, when we give the ball to Samaj P. Ryan, we get more yards and we score more points, and that's a good thing. And when you think about the red zone volume that Samaj P. Ryan could have in Washington's highly prolific offense could be top 10 in the NFL. And that's what we want in our running backs. We want touchdowns. We want a running back in that LeGarrette Blunt role. Well, that's Samaj P. Ryan, baby. Fast Samaj, baby. In that offense, um, you know, obviously we like our running backs tied to good offenses. Kirk Cousins almost threw for 5,000 yards last year. So like you just said, those red zone carries, those goal line carries are going to be there, which is what made Rob Kelly uh, valuable last year in the first place. And we can definitely see Samaje taking those. Wow. Yeah. Why not? Let's talk about Cleveland because Cleveland. Let's do it. Oh, my God. I can't not talk about the Cleveland Browns. I'm still basking in the glow of their draft. Love what they're doing, man. Deshaun Kaiser, David Njoku, Miles Garrett. Oh, my God. (laughs) So good. It was just so good. And I love David Njoku so much. But look at the quarterbacks. Kessler, Kaiser. Who's going to start in week one? So for me, I think it's Cody Kessler. And honestly, I would love to see Cody Kessler start all 16 games. Um, He profiled extremely similar athletically to Andy Dalton coming out of college per the Rotoviz box score scout app. And he had similar college production as well. And we know Hugh Jackson was Andy Dalton's offensive coordinator. I think Hugh Jackson played a huge role in the Browns taking Kessler. And even though it was in limited action, he was kind of solid last year. In limited action, he posted 80.6 adjusted completion percentage under pressure. 
um, which was best by a rookie quarterback since 2006, according to Pro Football Focus. He was number three in pressured completion percentage, according to Pro Football Focus. And I just believe that he has the ability to get the ball to his pass catchers, kind of in like a Brian Hoyer type role where he's not a great quarterback. He's not going to wow you, but he's going to get the ball where it needs to be. So I would love to see Kessler there because I definitely don't want to see it be Osweiler. I don't. Osweiler, Schmossweiler. It's not going to be Osweiler. He'll be cut. They traded for Osweiler just to, to get, get the that second, second round pick. pick. That's the reason and I loved it, it was a salary dump move by the Houston Texans, and the Cleveland Browns were happy to oblige. Look at the run game. Crowell, Johnson, Jackson. I love it. I love that run love game. And they actually upgraded their guard play. So now they have great tackles. They have road grader guards. This is an exciting run game. It really is. Added J.C. Treader and Kevin Zeitler to go along with Joe Thomas, Joel Batonio, Cam Irving, and others. And the, the, the one negative is they were tied for last in rush attempts last year. But I think you're seeing all these moves showing us what the Browns want to do. And we know that they're slowly getting better with all these draft picks they're bringing in. So they're going to run the ball more, I believe. And Isaiah Crowell, I really like him. A third in yards after contact, according oh, yeah. to Pro Football Focus. Number six in yards after contact per touch on player profiler. Um, so I, I like Isaiah Crowell as a guy you can get fifth round-ish and he's gonna out he can outperform what people think he's going to do because of the Browns stink. And then you got Duke Johnson, who is really solid in his own right, profiled as a, a very electric runner, number five in yards after contact per touch on player profiler, number two in juke rate last year. And if anything happens to Crowell, Duke Johnson could become solid and you can get him at a value. This reminds me of what's happening in Atlanta. This is the discount version yeah. of the Atlanta backfield because we talk about the Atlanta backfield. We know great brand equity in the Atlanta backfield, but those players are expensive. Yes, exactly. Devontae Freeman is expensive for a player who's sharing half the touches with his teammate. Tevin Coleman is incredibly expensive for a running back who's not the starter. Exactly. I love acquiring Freeman and Coleman in Dynasty because I drafted Coleman in most Dynasty rookie drafts and I'm out here acquiring Freeman because that to me is like a super back. It's backfield cold fusion to get both starters that are standalone RB1s in their own right and are potentially the number one running back in fantasy if either goes down. Yes. It's standalone fantasy relevant value with built in handcuffs. It's like a magic trick. <laughs> yeah, man. It makes way too much sense in Dynasty to not go out and acquire both Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman. It's no risk, all reward. The only risk is they both get hurt. Yes, it's possible. One could break his ankle, the other could break his foot. Okay, then, you know, fuck me. I don't win this year. Okay, if that happens, then I just throw my papers in the air and I walk away and I say, I'll take the L, see you next year. Yeah, for sure. But in redraft, the idea that I'm going to get both Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman is a pipe dream. It's not going to happen. I'm drafting wide receivers typically in rounds two through four. Totally agree with you. And it's the price, right? You already talked about it. And if you do zero RB and you start drafting in round five, you can get Isaiah Crowell. And mm -hmm. then a couple rounds later, you can get Duke Johnson. Yep. And whereas the Browns are on the up and up with these additions and the team getting a little bit better, you you already talked about it. You have to spend more draft capital in the Falcons guys 
that are going to be on a team with regression just because it's similar to Carolina, what happened a year ago. They're just not going to be able to keep up the efficiency and prolific offense that they had a year ago. And it doesn't necessarily have everything to do with Kyle Shanahan. It was going to happen regardless just because of how phenomenal they were. And so you can get cheaper guys in Cleveland who their team is moving in a positive direction. And even though Atlanta is still going to be good, they're not going to be as prolific as they were last year. And you have to spend significant draft capital to get those guys. Duke Johnson's fantasy points per game is going to be a lot closer to Devontae Freeman's fantasy points per game than most people realize, because I think Duke Johnson is going to experience a positive fantasy point regression, because I think that they're going to throw the ball more. And I think that Cody Kessler is wired in a way that he will leverage his satellite back. Yes, I agree. So I think Duke Johnson's arrow is pointing up. I think Crowell's arrow is pointing up. How is it possible? Explain this to me. If you're the Cleveland Browns and you're starting some combination of Kessler, Griffin III, McCown, defenses are not afraid of your passing game, yet somehow Isaiah Crowell is posting 4.8 yards per carry? How? How, how is he doing that? I, I don't understand how he's doing that. It's I don't either. So we're and not paying that... for the efficiency. With Tevin Coleman, we're paying for the efficiency. Tevin Coleman was arguably the most efficient running back on a per-touch basis in 2016. And you have to pay for it now. That's why we fade efficiency. We fade previous year efficiency in redraft. We buy previous year efficiency in dynasty. Because efficiency tells you this player is likely good at football. And that's what you want to acquire on your Dynasty League roster. You simply want to acquire good football players on your Dynasty League roster. And eventually, the talent will take care of itself. The situation will eventually catch up to the talent. And in Dynasty, you have years of production ahead of you. So you can fight through the outlier performances over the course of multiple years. You're not worried about regressions. You're not worried about efficiency regressions in Dynasty. You are in redraft. In redraft, you must fade previous year efficiency. I mean, that's... Want to know a cheat code for fantasy football in redraft? Go find the top 10 most efficient wide receivers and the top 10 most efficient running backs from the previous year and just scratch them off your list. Easy fantasy football cheat code right there. And Isaiah Crowell specifically, 40 catches last year in his own right, where Duke Johnson had 53. Can't believe that. Could you believe Isaiah Crowell had 40 catches last year? It's unbelievable. I thought that was a misprint. I did too. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. He started to pick it up second half of the year, and he had all that rushing production on, I think it was a one-win team. And again, we know that even though it's slowly, the Browns are moving in the right direction, should win some more games, have an upgraded offensive line. So, you know, arrow up, wheels up for Isaiah Crowell and Duke Johnson in his own right. And if Crowell were to get injured and real quick, Darius Jackson is one of my favorite deep dynasty stashes in, in one of the last few rounds because he's an interesting prospect in his own right. And if again, Crowell or Johnson go down, he could start to become relevant a little bit. Absolutely. And look at the passing game. We loved Corey Coleman last year, but now no one talks about Corey Coleman. When I say the name Corey Coleman, this is all you hear. Corey Coleman's exciting. Corey Coleman ran a 4-4-2. Corey Coleman has a 133.494th percentile burst score on playerprofiler.com. Corey Coleman's catch radius is 1028, and he's only 5'11", because he's one of the most special wide receiver talents in the NFL. His best comparable player is Odell Beckham Jr. 
Do you know the other receivers in the NFL that are best comparable to Odell Beckham Jr. in the playerprofiler.com database? Can you name them? Are there any at all? There are none. A singularity at the wide receiver position, Corey Coleman. That's awesome. Corey Coleman singularity. We should call that show this. Oh, I like it. A lot of Star Trek and Star Wars nerds in the fantasy football community so that will resonate with oh them. hell yeah hell yeah fans of the movie interstellar listen to this show so they'll love that particular label for the show but no Corey coleman was not efficient last year i'm not looking at Corey coleman's efficiency i'm looking at his target share 22.6 percent okay that's healthy five percentage points higher than mike wallace to put it in context Mm-hmm. So 22.6% target share as a rookie, and we know he has ability. I mean, go turn on the Baylor tape. I mean, do I really need to talk to you about Corey Coleman's ability? 44.2% 88th percentile dominator rating with an 18.4 yards per reception. I mean, get out of here. Corey Coleman is one of the truly special athletes at the position. He's their number one wide receiver from last year. So he's the incumbent and he's going to break out this year. And Kenny Britt is also there. So Kenny Britt's excited yes. as well, but I still believe Kenny Britt is the 1B to Corey Coleman's 1A because Kenny Britt's the new guy. He's older. He's going to be 29 at some point during the season. And while I love Kenny Britt and I love his value, I'm team Corey Coleman. And Kenny Britt was shockingly efficient, as I mentioned last year. So I think there might be some efficiency regression, shockingly, for Kenny Britt, even though he's necessarily getting a quarterback upgrade. I don't think he can maintain the efficiency from last year. So for that reason, I'm strongly buying Corey Coleman. Yeah, I like that. Um, And certainly plausible with the efficiency. I think it is saying something, though, that Kenny Britt had over a thousand yards last year. It's unbelievable, right? I mean, what am I? I I know I I love Corey Coleman. (laughs) I I really want to tout him. I want to keep flying that flag over my house. But man, how impressive was it that he went over a thousand yards on the rims? Like he did that. He was a first round pick back in the day in his own right. Jeff Fisher team, Case Keenum and Jared Goff were the guys throwing him the ball. And the kicker, like you already said, the value, he's wide receiver 56 in MFL 10s as well. No. So another dude. Yeah, Shut man. Shut your yes. mouth. Yes. Okay, now I am excited. I had no idea. Yes. Corey Coleman is wide receiver 36. Britt is 56. What? And this was gonna this was gonna be an answer to me. I, this was gonna be one of my answers for teammates ADPs that should be closer together. I definitely think, regardless of who you like, the ADP should be closer. I love Britt at that value. Yes! I think it's close. I think that I would take Corey Coleman in a coin flip situation. Exactly. Because... Corey Coleman was the established number one wide receiver on the team last year, but Kenny Britt's been an established number one wide receiver in the NFL for many years. And Kenny Britt accomplished, and Kenny Britt had the most impressive accomplishment of any player in the NFL in 2016, a 1,000-yard season with Jared Goff. Yeah. 18 touchdowns for LeGarrette Blunt. don't care. 300-yard <laughs> game for Julio Jones, not interested. <laughs> Over 40 fantasy points in the Super Bowl by James White doesn't move the needle. 1,000 yards in the Rams offense for Kenny Britt. No! What? What is going on? Not possible. Just not possible. And I told you before, we love David Njoku. I think David Njoku is going to be relevant in redraft this year. I'm not drafting David Njoku. The idea that you would draft a rookie tight end in redraft is just silliness. Of course, I'm not going to do that. But 
Would I stream David Njoku at some point if he establishes a healthy target share, as you said? Well, he's one of the most athletic tight ends in the NFL as of today, and he was the number one wide receiver on the Miami Hurricanes last year. Very few tight ends are their team's number one receiver. But David Njoku led the Hurricanes in yards per game last year and led all of college football in yards after the catch. I mean, this guy is the second coming of Travis Kelsey. So I am a big fan of David Njoku. In tight end premium leagues, I'm in a handful of tight end premium dynasty leagues where receptions count one and a half points for tight ends. I am drafting David Njoku in the second half of the first round every time. And the beauty is there's inevitably another person in the league with me that has the same idea. And guess what happens? They draft OJ Howard. Yeah. (laughs) Making it very easy for Matt Kelly to come in and vacuum up all the David Njoku. So let's stick with rookies for a little bit. Give me a couple rookies that you're significantly higher on than consensus right now. I like Chris Godwin, um, and I would draft him over Juju Smith-Schuster, so I guess that makes me higher on him than most. Uh, to, to me, Godwin was a better athlete. Did I ever tell you that you're a very smart man? Um, I think you have once or twice. I appreciate that. I appreciate I'm, that. For the record, I want to be on the record in the Roto Underworld Radio program saying Ben Cummins is a smart man. I appreciate that. Because you said Chris Godwin's a great value, and you said that he's going to outproduce Juju Smith-Schuster. Correct and correct. Ding, ding. Correct. And I think if you just look at it objectively for a second, Godwin is a better athlete based on his workout metrics. He had a higher college dominator rating, a higher college yards per reception. And even though Juju Smith-Schuster's breakout age was phenomenal, and that's what everybody cites, Chris Godwin's breakout age was 77th percentile in his own right. And then you look at the situations for Dynasty, Chris Godwin's Dynasty quarterback and Jameis Winston is locked in for years to come. And Deshaun Jackson is interesting in redraft, sure, but the dude is 30 years old, whereas Juju's Dynasty quarterback could retire at the end of this season. And he's the youngest player in the draft at 20 years old. So I think it's going to take him a few years regardless to become a consistent option and at you know the very beginning of his career, regardless, he is going to be the number three. And I know Martavis Bryant is one you know incident away from basically becoming a dead asset, which is something that you have to consider. But until that happens, he's the number three at best and isn't going to be consistent right away. And then Big Ben's going to be gone. But on the other flip, flip side of that, once Godwin comes into his own, Jameis Winston and him can make sweet music together. So I, I'm pretty high on Chris Godwin. Give me one more. Um, I also like Marlon Mack a lot. And Frank Gore is has been great, but he's 34 years old. And this is a phenomenal situation for Mack. Mack's an above-average prospect, both athletically and in terms of production. But here's the thing. The situation, if Gore were to go down, if this is finally the year that he falls off the cliff, I know we don't like our players falling off the cliff, but if this is that year... Um, The situation playing in a great offense with Andrew Luck can elevate Marlon Mack to more than just an average or above average fantasy asset. He had 65 catches in three seasons and playing um, in college, the coaches lined him up out wide. They threw him fly routes. They threw him screen routes. So this is a dude that has upside in the receiving game as well. And so I'm higher on him because of the situation and potential for early opportunity. Love it, dude. 
I have been acquiring a lot of Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack's best comparable players in player profilers database, Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon. I don't understand why he doesn't get the recognition, why the enthusiasm hasn't ratcheted up around Marlon Mack, because I see a lot of enthusiasm around Joe Williams, Jamal <laughs> Williams. Yeah. We talked about yeah. Samaj P. Ryan. I like Samaj P. Ryan. He was no Marlon Mack at the college level. Yes. Alvin Kamara. Lots of these running backs are receiving significant boosts from fantasy analysts. You'll find some fantasy analysts yeah. out there who will wave the flag for one of those players. I haven't seen anyone out here saying, Marlon Mack's my guy. Yeah. And I don't understand it because he was very productive at USF, very efficient, super athlete, really active out of the backfield. He has everything you're looking for. Prototypical size. He's over 215 pounds. All his workout metrics are in the 70th percentile or above. Target share over the 70th percentile. 70th percentile yards per carry. 60th percentile dominator rating. So I just don't understand how he's not being aggressively targeted because he landed on the Colts. Frank Gore is 34 years old and has over 3,000 touches on his odometer. 3,000! 3,000! Very, 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 very few running backs ever reach 3,000 touches. This is the year that Frank Gore finally quits football. I don't think that he is going to be able to finish the year. I think he's either going to be injured or he is going to be relegated based on inefficient play because he just simply has no more juice left. When you go to his profile on playerprofiler.com, this is one of those players where you cannot simply buy last year's inefficiency in redraft. There are a handful of players where the inefficiency is a red flag the following year, particularly the players that are at the very end of their career. The year before Andre Johnson ended up in Indianapolis, he was hugely inefficient in Houston. That was a warning flare. Last year, Frank Gore's yards per carry went under four. Ooh. The year before that, they were under four. It's been two straight seasons of below 4.0 yards per carry for Frank Gore. And his elusiveness continues to decline. Last year, his juke rate bottomed out. 14.6% evaded tackles per touch for Frank Gore. That's 68th in the NFL. Very few players have a juke rate under 15%. He has no elusiveness left. He's 34 years old with over 3,000 career touches. That's the only player standing in the way of Marlon Mack being the featured back on a Colts offense. Led by Andrew Luck. Yeah, the Colts offense is in the top 10 in points scored every year. Yep. Especially if you look at points scored per game when Andrew Luck plays. This is a team that's going to offer whatever back is receiving carries copious amounts of red zone touches. And Andrew Luck is a player that uses his checkdown receivers when he can. He just doesn't have quality checkdown receivers until now. Now he has Marlon. That's exactly Mack. right. He used Jack Doyle last year. Didn't he check it down to Jack Doyle a lot last year? Well, he did. Partly that's because. Frank Gore offered zero elusiveness in space. And even Frank Gore was catching some passes. Marlon Mack is absolutely elusive in space and a quality receiver. He profiles as an every down bell cow for the Indianapolis Colts. At some point this season, you don't even need to wait a full season to enjoy Marlon Mack's RB1 upside. He should be right. a target late in the first round of dynasty rookie drafts. I just don't understand how more people are not drafting Marlon Mack earlier. 
Totally with you, man. That same touchdown opportunity that we talked about in Washington with P. Ryan, it could be the same. Marlon Mack could see similar opportunities to score lots of fantasy points in Indianapolis. Who are the rookies that you're lower on than consensus, though? So i got to talk about Evan Ingram because I don't necessarily understand all of the love. I mean, we're already seeing the coaches talking about they want Ingram to learn the traditional tight end role, which I don't love that at all. Um, he hardly played the traditional tight end role in college. He played a ton of slot wide receiver, and we know that's Sterling Shepard's role on the team. Also, we've already talked about it. We know tight ends traditionally take a couple years to develop, especially guys like Evan Ingram that are making a bigger transition in terms of their role, learning how to block, learning multiple um, aspects of the tight end position at the NFL level. And aside from that, even if they are going to use him more the way that he played in college, there's just too many mouths to feed in New York. you got Odell Beckham Jr., Brandon Marshall, Sterling Shepard. Ah, the mouths to feed cliche. I was waiting for a cliche. <laughs> you went over an hour without a cliche. Good job, Ben. Good job, Thank man. You. Thank you. You did a good Thank job. You. I appreciate it. But yeah, so I had to throw it in there. And um, because of that, I just feel like Evan Ingram is not going to be a consistent fantasy option early on. And again, in redraft and even dynasty, um, to some extent, we want consistent assets that we can throw in week in and week out. And I think by the time Evan Ingram becomes more of an option and more of an asset, it's similar to what I think about with Juju Smith-Schuster. By that time, Eli Manning will be gone and we're not sure who the quarterback's going to be at that point. So I don't love the early opportunity and I don't necessarily have a crystal ball to see that the uh, late uh, the opportunity later on is going to be good either. I don't get it. I don't get it. And reading reports from New York, it seems that there was disagreement about whether or not they should be drafting Evan Ingram. If they drafted David Njoku even, I wouldn't be that excited because Brandon Marshall is there. Odell Beckham's there. Sterling Shepard's there. I don't love Sterling Shepard, but I'm at the point where I'm like, you, you do know that Sterling Shepard's going to command more targets than Evan Ingram. I totally can't believe you. we're a year removed from Sterling Shepard zealots trying to burn my house down. A year later, all of them have walked away. They've put their torches down. And now I'm the one right. drafting Sterling Shepard. I just drafted Sterling Shepard in a dynasty league not long ago. I'm like, what happened to all you people? You disappeared. Now they're drafting Evan Ingram. They're just so fickle. It's been a year. I thought you loved Sterling Shepard. Totally with you. I actually drafted Sterling Shepard too, pretty late because he's fallen and I'm not even a big fan either. Um, but he's at a value now because just like you said, everybody's gone from she Well, most people have gone from Shepard to Ingram. Ingram's the new hot thing. Even though we've talked about over and over again, that tight ends take a while to develop. Look at Eric Ebron, a top 10 guy who didn't have as much opportunity to fight against in terms of the other guys on his team. He still took a while to develop, and you see it over and over again, but yet we're to expect that Evan Ingram's just going to come in, and even if they play him at the role that we want to get excited about for fantasy, where are the targets coming for him to be a consistent player when Odell Beckham, oh, I don't know, has had basically the greatest three-year stretch to begin a career in NFL history for a wide receiver? Brandon Marshall has close to more thousand yard receiving seasons than almost anybody in history. And Sterling Shepard had eight touchdowns last year. Like you said, I don't love Sterling Shepard, but the dude was drafted to be the slot receiver and he's going to play that role. So if you put 
Evan Ingram on the other side in the other slot, that makes me like Eli Manning for one more season in fantasy because of all the weapons. But I just can't see Evan Ingram even being on the field enough to be a consistent fantasy asset in year one. And it seems like he's going in first round of rookie drafts because that's what everybody believes is going to happen. I don't get it. I No one should be surprised when Evan Ingram isn't on the field in week one. Just don't be exactly. surprised when that happens because he's not ready to block NFL edge rushers and he's not ready to run NFL receiver routes. He's not ready to do either, and I don't think he'll be ready to do either in week one of the NFL season. It's only a few months away. I'd like to see a live shot of all the Evan Ingram dynasty owners when Will Ty starts week one. I would love to see the reaction because I, I think that's another aspect. Like, yeah, Will Ty's not great, but we're just acting like he's not there. Like, Will Ty will be on the field, which is another reason why I don't see Evan Ingram's snap percentage being as high as some would probably hope. Right. Will Ty's another player with a damaged brand. He didn't yes. fire last year, so he must be terrible. Even though he's a young tight end and we've already established it takes tight ends a long time to develop. So would anyone be surprised? Should we be surprised if Will Ty is better this year than he was last year? I expect him to be better this year. It would make logical sense that he would take a step forward in his third year in the league and be a better blocker and a better receiver, and that he would be far ahead of Evan Ingram in both areas of football. Don't forget, Will Ty is almost as athletic as Evan Ingram. He's not as agile, he doesn't have as much explosion, but his size-adjusted speed is just as good as Evan Ingram's. Yeah, man, I don't get it. I really don't. So we talked earlier about Juju Smith-Schuster, and that even in a vacuum, not considering the situations, we like Chris Godwin more than Juju Smith-Schuster. Godwin has the more impressive profile. But when you compare the situations between Godwin and Juju, Godwin's in a much better situation. In Dynasty, he's tethered to Jameis Winston for the next five years. If he signs an extension, eight years. He has all of Jameis Winston's prime ahead of him. Juju Smith-Schuster is tethered to Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger, who genuinely has been contemplating retirement. I think that's real. I think that Ben Roethlisberger's broken. I think that over the years, experiencing punctured lungs, torn shoulder ligaments, torn knee ligaments, it's too much. Eventually, you can't get up in the morning. That's what happens to NFL players. I think he's at that point, and I think he's going to be one of those quarterbacks that retires relatively early. Given that, would you consider trading Antonio Brown and or Martavis Bryant in Dynasty right now? And if so, two-part question, which we rarely do. I hate two-part questions. I'm <laughs> doing a two-part question right now. If you did trade them, what would you hope to get back? Yeah, I think this is a very valid question because just like you said, Ben Roethlisberger entering his 14th year, 35 years old. This, I, I agree with you that I believe that he comp contemplated retirement um, and that this could be his last season. And that's one of the reasons why I talked about not loving Juju Smith-Schuster. Well, with Antonio Brown, it is a little bit different for me because I do subscribe to the Jacob Rick Road School of Dynasty philosophy of win now and win later. And Antonio Brown's 2013 through 2015 seasons were on par with Jerry Rice's greatest three-year stretch of his career. And obviously, we saw Antonio Brown have another solid year last season in 2016. So I probably couldn't trade him away just because I'm trying to win every year and he's a high-end asset that I think allows me to do that. But it is a valid question because 
we need to start thinking about what Antonio Brown would be like post Ben Roethlisberger. I do think that he's so talented that he can survive with another quarterback, but the past history is a little scary, uh, but I want to bring some context to it. So last season without Ben Roethlisberger, he only played in one game without him, and he had seven catches for 106 yards with Landry Jones. That's solid, right? The year before, he had five for 42 and three for 45, That wasn't good, and that scares you, but we do have to remember that Michael Vick started those games, and he was horrendous throwing the ball in the last few moments of his career. So from that standpoint, I put very little blame on Antonio Brown. I remember that Thursday night game against the Ravens where, (laughs) I mean, Brown was getting open and Vick just couldn't hit him at all. The next game, three for 24. Again, that was a combination of Michael Vick and Landry Jones, but then they got Michael Vick out of the picture. Michael Vick never played it down in the NFL again. And the next game, Brown goes for six for 124 with Landry Jones. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so in the last two years without Ben Roethlisberger and without having to suffer from the terrible that was Michael Vick at the end of his career, Brown has two 100-yard games in two games. And I know that that's a small sample size, but we also know that Landry Jones is terrible. And so if Brown can still produce with Landry Jones, I just feel like I'm going to keep him. I'm going to hope Big Ben plays a couple more years, but even if he doesn't, I'm going to hope and believe that Pittsburgh can at least get somebody in there that can get Brown the ball because I just think he's so, so good. He can get open at will. So I would be very hesitant to trade him because I want to win. If you are thinking about doing that, I'm looking at getting three high-end starters at least. You know, you got to get a haul for Brown. Martavis Bryant? This is what I would do. I would target a wide receiver that I think can post similar production to Antonio Brown. Okay. But he's not viewed in the same tier. Right. And then add on top of that picks and sleeper running backs. Okay. So that would be the package I would ask for. A great package for Antonio Brown would be as follows. Doug Baldwin. All right. I like it. A 2018 first rounder. Okay. Isaiah Crowell and Duke Johnson for Antonio Brown. That sounds like a fair offer, does it not? I think it does. Yeah, so it starts to get interesting there. I would take the Baldwin side. I would take the Baldwin side of that trade. Well, and it's interesting because even though Antonio Brown is such a high-end asset, the, the it's just so funny how we play fantasy. You get into the playoffs and you have to have your guys produce for one or two weeks to advance and win the championship that we're all going for. And there's so many injuries that happen throughout the season. I love to have depth in Dynasty. So I definitely hear what you're saying because you get a solid wide receiver in Doug Baldwin, who I love. He's not just solid. I think he's the most underrated wide receiver. Totally preach, man. Preach. In that second tier because he has WR1 upside, not only WR1 upside, he has high-end WR1 upside. Remember, he was the most productive wide receiver for the second half of 2015. And even though Russell Wilson was outside the top 15 fantasy quarterbacks last year, think about that. Russell Wilson was outside the top 15 fantasy quarterbacks last year. It's almost a riddle how that's possible. Arguably his worst season. Yeah, it was his worst season by far. Yep, and Doug Baldwin still finished. Doug Baldwin suffered under the tyranny of a randomly inefficient Russell Wilson season, still finished with 1,100-plus yards and seven touchdowns. That's his floor. 15 points a game is Doug Baldwin's floor. As a wide receiver, one. 20-plus fantasy points per game is his ceiling. We talked about target premium with Kenny Britt. When you factor out Russell Wilson's poor play and just compare Doug Baldwin's per-target efficiency to the other receivers in the Seattle passing game— 
plus 19.4% target premium, number seven in the NFL last season. So Doug Baldwin is posting Antonio Brown level efficiency, and his quarterback is not a broken man. His quarterback is in his prime. Have you been watching Russell Wilson's GIFs and videos on Instagram throughout this offseason? Russell Wilson is preparing for a career year, and I believe Doug Baldwin will enjoy a career year this year. I am trying desperately to trade for Doug Baldwin in every single league. Yes. Yes, I have uh, a good amount of Doug Baldwin in Dynasty where I'm in a... uh, You don't have any Doug Baldwin shares? (laughs) I chose my words carefully for you, Matt. Uh, I'm in a two-quarterback mock draft right now. I just took Doug Baldwin in the third round. I love him. It's actually extremely just insane to think about what he did last year with Russell Wilson having arguably his worst season. Though The least amount of touchdowns both running and passing Russell Wilson has ever produced in his career being injured. We know that that positive progression, regression, however the hell you want to say it, is coming. Positive regression. And Doug Baldwin has been a wide receiver one the past two years. So what you're saying certainly makes a lot of sense because you acquire more assets. You have more opportunity for your guys to be healthy come the come playoffs when it's one or two weeks to win and get to the championship and win the championship. And the argument for Antonio Brown is that he's going to age well. That yes. his game will age well. That when Julio Jones has experienced an Andre Johnson sharp decline in his early 30s, then Antonio Brown will still be a WR1 in fantasy. Right. That's how we think about Antonio Brown. We're discerning about aging. Well, Doug Baldwin has the same game. Doug Baldwin will also age well. No one should be surprised if Doug Baldwin is fantasy viable at age 35. Same with Antonio Brown. That's why it would make sense to trade Antonio Brown for what I believe is a similar asset in Doug Baldwin, but get first-round picks and undervalued running backs like Crowell in the transaction. Yeah, I don't hate that at all. And I mean, again, uh, we've talked about this. Receivers in Dynasty, you have to look at their situation, or um, excuse me, their situation and their quarterback play. And I think to some extent, we we don't want to think that way, so we just don't. But Doug Baldwin will be... Cognitive dissonance. Uh, I don't want to think about Ben Roethlisberger not being the quarterback. Ah, too much exactly. information. Can't even imagine that scenario. Ah! And so this could be Antonio Brown's last year with Roethlisberger. We talked about it, but we know Doug Baldwin is going to be tied to Russell Wilson, who is just so damn good for a lot longer. And so this, look, I don't hate it because we're starting to, to get into specifics. The hall that we're talking about, undervalued players. Um, I don't hate it. And it's something that, Certainly makes sense for sure. Yeah, you trade the player with the irrational brand equity for the player who lacks the brand equity, but yet still produces. For some reason, Doug Baldwin, his brand equity has not caught up with his performances on the field. Totally agree. And as long as that's the case, you have to be acquiring him in Dynasty. Now, what about Martavis Bryant? Trade Martavis Bryant right now? Yeah, it's a little different situation because obviously one more mistake and you're basically looking at a dead asset. Um, and I. I do own Martavis Bryant Dynasty, and I would be lying to you if I told you. Martavis Bryant could die? Yeah, I mean, he could. We hope that it doesn't happen, but he could become a dead asset. And I, I would be lying to you. Wow, a lot of death and destruction from Ben Cummins on the Roto Underworld radio program today. I like to be positive. I need to change my wording around because I'm getting too morbid here. 
you're, you're killing players left and right, Ben. <laughs> Look, Juju Smith-Schuster being brought in, I've already talked about why I don't love it. But it does concern me a little bit for owning Martavis Bryant. Um, here's the thing, though. I think this is a weird time for Bryant owners to sell him. Uh, coming from a guy that owned him all last season, never saw a single offer. Now, as soon as he's reinstated, the offers are coming in, right? And I don't really love any of the offers. So my advice, if you're thinking about trading Bryant, which makes sense due to all the things we've talked about, is wait for the hype to build because I certainly think it's coming. And then decide for yourself whether you want to trade him in training camp. Training camp, Jeffs. Let that stuff build up. The training camp, Jeffs. Just wait for the Martavis Bryant training camp, Jeffs. He's you know they're coming, catch a man. touchdown mid-forward flip and land it in training camp. And it'll be retweeted and retweeted and retweeted, and his ADP will rise and rise and rise and rise and rise. And at the very moment that it couldn't possibly rise any higher, you trade him. That's when you get out from under him if you want to. Um, that's when you decide if you want to, you know, get a package like we've talked about for him or want to try to hold on to him and try to win the championship in 2017. But if you're going to trade him, makes sense. And that would be the time that I would do it. So I'm not looking to trade him right now as a Bryant owner. Now, Dynasty Startups, you doing any? I am. I am. I actually uh, just did my first couple Dynasty Startup drafts ever very recently. Congratulations. Look at you. Look at all these accomplishments. I know, man. One thing after that, I took over an orphan last season. Wow. So I got I got my feet wet, but now as You're all grows up, Ben Cummins. I know, man. I know. Now I'm starting to do the drafts. I just feel so mature. Full blown startup. How'd it go? Uh, you know, I thought I have really liked what I've done. And one of the things that I have realized that I like to do is grab one of those stud running backs preferably the top three. Make sure you get a dude that you know, at least for the foreseeable future, I know it's Dynasty, but I'm trying to win now, has that opportunity locked up. Because you look at the running backs, it starts to get ugly pretty quickly in terms of there just starts to be a lot of opportunity questions that start opening up. And on the flip side of that, I like getting a stud running back because then you can just start poaching all of these values in dynasty yes. at the wide receiver position yes. because we know that there's more relevant wide receiver twos and even wide receiver threes on teams than ever before. Yes. We know that teams are throwing more in the NFL Preach. than ever before. Preach. So guys like Jamison Crowder, Golden Tate, Crabtree, yes. Trail Pryor. You don't need to burn early round draft capital in Dynasty Startups on wide receivers. You don't because you can make up for it. It's a misallocation of resources, man. Do you remember that from Saving Private Ryan? Well, they were talking about the sniper guy, the sniper character, and they were talking about what their platoon should be doing. And they, they said, well, you just put me within... 500 yards, Adolf Hitler, <laughs> war's over. Go home, fellas. That's what we should be focused on doing. How do how would you phrase that to your commanding officer? He said, well, I would say that what we're looking at here is a severe misallocation of government resources. I love it. And that's a misallocation of resources in Dynasty Startups, burning all that early round draft capital on wide receivers. You don't need it. We've talked about Kenny Britt, talked about Mike Wallace. Even Brashad Perriman, if you're into that kind of thing, those are all available later on. You don't need to burn first, second, and third round picks 
on wide receivers. You don't need to do it. Hopefully, no. you get your hands on one of those top three running backs. We know who they are. Do we need to list the top three running backs at this point? We can just say the top three, right? We can just. I think we can just say the top three. Call them the top three and move on. I, I think people get it. Yeah. You no, know, they get it, right? The top three. Then the next round, you can get a Melvin Gordon. The next round, yeah. you can get Tevin Coleman. Just load up on these young, explosive running backs. Yeah, I don't hate grabbing Melvin Gordon in the second either. And then just loving your running back situation. Loving. And starting to poach those wide receivers. I mean, it changes a little bit in Superflex. I have a team right now, the Fantasy Podcasters League, the Dynasty League the Dynasty League Podcasters League, where I own Le'Veon Bell, yep. Melvin Gordon, and Tevin Coleman. Like that those who that's my wide receiver core. That's who I'm riding with. And I love that team. I love that team more than any other team because then I was just hammered down on wide receivers in yep. rounds five through 15. It was just all wide receivers. And I was able to get the Jamison Crowders and yes. I was able to get Willie Sneeds, the Willie Sneeds and just soak up all the wide receivers we love. And I look at this roster and I just fall in love. Like I go to a, this special happy place in my mind. Yeah. Happy Gilmore style. And I just stare at my screen and my face just starts to go forward slowly, slowly, <laughs> slowly toward the screen. I just start floating off my chair and just start floating toward the screen until boom, my head hits the monitor. Yeah. Because I'm so in love with that particular roster construction in Dynasty. It's very different than Redraft. I'm not going to take that kind of risk on running backs in redraft. Hell no. Way too much volatility at the position. I'd rather focus on getting the Isaiah Crowells in round five and the Duke Johnsons, the satellite backs that could be every down backs if given opportunity, the zero RB candidates that we've been listing for sure in our zero RB fantasy articles over the last three months. Who are some of those zero RB running backs that you like? Running backs in rounds 7 through 15 that you're targeting. This year's LeGarrette Blunt, for example. Um, well, it's funny that you asked this question because I really like Mike Gillisley. Um, he is a guy that I think his ADP should have risen more than it has. I think people are a little bit slow to the party now i get that it is new england and i get that yeah you know why they're slow to the party it's very right. confusing it's interesting that you said this because this question is not on the show sheet yeah you threw it at me so yeah, this question is on I the show to, sheet and think quick. what ben doesn't know is i already recorded the monologue and the monologue is about the new england backfield okay okay and how i love my gillisley do you really yeah let's go i love it i'm on record touting Chris Godwin, right? Yes. So you know that, and, and you know you come on my show, you say Chris Godwin, and I'm just going to start fanning myself. Like, you get it. <laughs> oh yeah. You know the drill. You Absolutely. know how to be a good podcast guest. You know the right buttons to push. You had no idea. Zero. There's no way you could have known, unless you've bugged my office, that I think Mike Gillisley is the back to own in New England. Why do you think Mike Gillisley's the guy? I did not know that. I'm super pumped right now. I didn't even know you were going to ask me the question. But yeah, I've been touting him on Fantasy Authority Podcast. I wrote an article that broke down his tape and shows what I really like about him. 
Um, obviously, there's a lot of mouths to feed. I, I, oh, I just said it again. Oh, Jesus. You and the mouths to feed. <laughs> there are a lot of mouths to feed. Yes, that's very true. It is true. It is true. And that's why you can get him at a value. And that's the whole point. It goes back to what I talked about with DeMarco Murray. Um, you could have got him at a value last year and you saw how it panned out. Yes, Gillis Lee is in a crowded backfield right now. One of those guys is going to be a fantasy football megastar. I don't know who it's going to be exactly. I don't know with definitive certainty if it's going to be Gillisley or Burkhead. We don't know. Deion Lewis. We don't know. I don't think Rex Burkhead is dead by any means. There, I said it again. It's not going to be James White. We know definitively it's not going to be James White. James White absolutely has a ceiling. Yes. Because he is a satellite back only. That's it. He's not an every down back. He's not Super Bowl James White. That was a once in a lifetime occurrence. That was. Thank you a shooting star on top of a comet during an eclipse. His value is inflated because of that game and what happened in that game. The Patriots were losing for the entire game. And how often are the Patriots losing for an entire game? It doesn't happen. They're Very going to rare. They're James going to White's win all the time. Value is absolutely too high. He's the one back that I'm not buying. He, I'm yes. buying all three because I'll take Deion Lewis at his price because Deion Lewis had the worst Super Bowl of any player in that game. His fantasy stock crashed after the Super Bowl. Dynasty leaguers could not get rid of Deion Lewis fast enough after the Super Bowl. And yes. now we've seen it. Look at his redraft ADP. This was the most elusive back in the NFL in 2015. And now he's one of those players that we talked about with a severely damaged brand. And I don't believe it's 100% justified. Rex Burkhead, Mike Gillisley, both significantly undervalued. And yes. Deion Lewis has a damaged brand that is undeserved. You can buy all three. What's wrong with rostering all exactly. three of those players knowing one of them could very well be an RB1 in fantasy this year. That sounds like a great investment to me. If these players were shares and we were <laughs> investing in a portfolio of stocks. Buy all the shares. <laughs> wouldn't a great portfolio management strategy be to acquire all three stocks in a sector, knowing that one of them is going to end up becoming the market leader and the price will quadruple? Isn't that a good investment strategy? Absolutely. If all three of these players were shares, these are guys that you would want to invest in knowing that it's a little volatile, but knowing that the payoff could be huge. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. Just like we opened up the show with Mike Wallace and Perriman, why not just buy both because they're being drafted so late? You can do the exact same thing with the New England running backs. And I think it's going to be Gillisley. I think he is going to have the best chance, but we don't know in May. So why not just grab Rex Burkhead, whose ADP is now at the very end of drafts because of Gillisley coming in, and Deion Lewis, who just like you said, his his fantasy value completely died with what James White did in the Super Bowl. Why not just grab him at the end too? And I'll tell you what I did, Matt, and this ties back. This happened last year when LeGarrette Blunt was a 12th round pick. Yep, exactly. Everybody loved Deion Lewis last year. Now nobody does. No, no, that's not true. No one loved Deion Lewis after the injury. Right, right, right. Deion Lewis was heavily discounted for good reason. And exactly. LeGarrette Blunt's ADP never sufficiently rose. It stayed depressed even after the Deion Lewis injury. It was very strange what happened in New England. 
Yes, and I think that's the same thing with Gillisley. I took Le'Veon Bell in the first round of my first ever Dynasty startup. I loaded up on the Doug Baldwin's, Willie Sneeds. Smart man. Did I tell you earlier that you're a very smart man, Ben and Cummins? I think you did, but it, you know, it never gets tiring to hear it. I appreciate it. You're a very smart man. And then here's what I did. I drafted, or I'm sorry, I, I drafted Rex Burkhead, and then I traded for Gillisley and Deion Lewis. So my running back two situation was a little bit weak because I started going at wide receivers, but now I have all three New England Patriots running backs, and I feel good about wanting one of them hitting. But if we're if we're just talking about one, I think what happened, what is happening with Gillisley is kind of similar to what happened with Blunt, and I know that there wasn't as many guys there last season, but Burkhead was signed, right? And there was all this talk made that he was the highest paid running back by Bill Chubb by Bill Belichick, excuse me, since 2010 with Fred Taylor. Well, a couple weeks later, Gillisley becomes even higher paid and they invested draft capital in him. I believe it was a fourth round pick that they had to use to steal him away from Buffalo. So there's a lot to like from what was used to get him. And this dude is a north and south runner, similar to LeGarrette Blunt. He's not as big, but I do think he offers a little bit more dynamic nature he does have the ability to get to the outside so yes there's a lot of guys there but the thing with Gillisley is you can get him at running back 33 right now in the 90s and if he hits the way that we know he can in a New England offense oh, where LeGarrette Blunt scored 18 rushing touchdowns last season he could be a huge value and that's what we talk about is getting these guys at discount prices that can blow up and Gillisley is one of those players how many quarters do you think the New England Patriots will be losing next year? Um, let's see. Spoiler alert, not very many. They're going to be winning <laughs> most games in most quarters. They will many. have a lead. They will be wanting to run the ball. New England has shown you this. When they have a lead, they like to start running the ball. That's their modem operandi. That was also the Falcons' modem operandi the last couple of years. These are both high-powered offenses, and it makes sense that you would draft the running backs on teams you know will be playing with the lead frequently. Yes. Last year, it made sense to draft both Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. I am a big fan of monopolizing a backfield so that you get all of the upside and the downside is protected because your running backs are each other's handcuffs. Yep. So it ends up being the cold fusion of fantasy where you have all the upside and none of the downside. We talked about that with Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell. And that's what you should have been doing last year with Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. And Devontae Freeman was expensive last year. Devontae Freeman was a first-round pick, and it still made sense to monopolize that backfield. If you were drafting Devontae Freeman, it was completely irrational to allow Tevin Coleman to go off the board to anyone other than you. Right. The same is true with these New England running backs. Totally agree. If you draft Mike Gillisley, you cannot let one of your opponents get Rex Burkhead. It's irrational. Now, if you do not want to go zero RB in 2017 because you are infatuated with David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, and Ezekiel Elliott, I don't blame you. Of course you're infatuated with those running backs. I am infatuated with those running backs. Everyone should be infatuated with those running backs. Those are great running backs. <laughs> yes. Those guys are incredible. How could you not be infatuated with those running backs? So I get it. But if you're drafting in slot 5 through 12, you're not going to get one of those running backs. Sorry, it's not going to happen. 
So if you're drafting in those slots, I suggest implementing zero RB because you can get a Mike Evans. You can get incredible wide receiver after incredible wide receiver. And as we talked about, once round five and six roll around, you can start hitting the button on the Isaiah Crowells and the Mike Gillisleys. And you can monopolize these backfields that have multiple high upside zero RB candidates. I believe that is the move in redraft this season. Let's throw beast mode in that range. You like Marshawn at all this year? You get Marshawn Lynch? Yeah. Go ahead and draft DeAndre Washington at the end of the draft while you're at it. Why not? While you're at it. Why not? And one of the reasons why I would immediately pivot to a zero RB strategy once those three big running backs are off the board, the big three, is because I like to avoid the bust running backs that get drafted in rounds two through five. There are so many. Yes. Every year there are so many bust running backs in those rounds. It's a terrifying place to draft running backs in those rounds. Just terrifying. Remember CJ Anderson? Oh, man. I mean, how many people have been cut in half by the Doug Martin buzzsaw? Three of the last four seasons have been epic bust seasons for Doug Martin. It's unbelievable how much damage Doug Martin by himself has inflicted. And the one good year... He was a zero RB candidate. Right. He's either a zero RB candidate (laughs) or he will single-handedly eviscerate your roster. Yes, exactly. Drafting Doug Martin with early round draft capital has always been a catastrophic mistake. Always and forever. So how do you avoid the CJ Andersons? How do you avoid the Doug Martins? How do you avoid the Thomas Rawls? (laughs) This is serious stuff. You think I'm kidding? It is. These are players with third and fourth round ADPs and in redraft. This, I'm not kidding. And luckily I wrote up not to touch those guys. How those. do you avoid these players? Tell us which of the players we should be avoiding in those slots. The stay away running backs. Who are they? Well, if we want to talk about like second round, I, I look, he's fine. I'm sure he will probably have a good season. Here we go. But personally, Here we go. personally, Here when we it go. comes time to hit draft on Jordan Howard, I just can't, can't bring myself to do it. Can't do it. I'm going to go wide receiver there every single time can't do it. because the wide receiver that I'm taking there can't. has guaranteed opportunity, catches passes from a good quarterback, high-end wide receiver, because Jordan Howard, the Bears are not going to be very good if they start – Playing Mitch Trubisky, I have no idea how he's going to perform. What happens if a couple offensive linemen get hurt for the Bears? That's where the fragility is. It's not even Jordan Howard. Yeah. For Jordan Howard to retain value, his offensive linemen have to stay healthy. Most years, offensive lines get brutalized with injuries. It's very common. A couple of years ago, I think every offensive lineman on the Patriots went down. It's all backups. <laughs> We've seen it many times. Chargers dealt with it a couple of years ago. Chargers, same thing. The entire offensive line gets hurt. I'm not saying the entire offensive line. I'm just saying a couple guys get hurt on that Bears offensive line. What was the most efficient run blocking unit last year is severely degraded. And then you need your quarterback to start getting you in scoring position. And then suddenly the defense closes ranks upon you and you stop being an efficient runner. That's the danger with Jordan Howard. We have one season of production at the NFL level. Before that, he was not special at Indiana, was not a dominant producer, was not particularly athletic. 
So we're relying on this one very productive, very efficient season in Chicago where his offensive line stayed healthy and everything broke right for him. Broke a lot of long runs, looked great. But that can turn very quickly with just a couple injuries along that offensive line, and that's why I'm not investing in Jordan Howard in the first round. He's a first-round running back. He's not going in the second round anywhere. Get out of here. In the second round Can't do it. is where Jay Ajayi is being drafted, and for the same reason... I'm not drafting Jay Ajayi because Jay Ajayi and Jordan Howard are also not pass catchers. So everything has to line up for them to produce. When all of Jay Ajayi's offensive linemen were healthy, he's rushing for 200 yards. When they're hurt, he's rushing for 40 yards. Exactly. Yep. And he's not catching passes to balance out the between the tackles inefficiency. So Howard and Ajayi have much lower floors than anyone talks about. Ben? Yes. Yes, I agree. I like my running backs in very good offenses. And I would say if you're going to take a running back that's in a pretty poor offense, wait and get the value a few rounds later on a guy like Isaiah Crowell after you've loaded up on some stud wide receivers or thrown Gronk in there at his value price this year. I would much rather do that than take... People will say, well, David Johnson, he ran behind one of the league's least efficient run-blocking units last year. That's true. Arizona Cardinals, not a good run-blocking unit, but at least he had Carson Palmer throwing him passes out of the backfield. Exactly. A seasoned veteran quarterback who knows how to leverage his hot reads out of the backfield. It's not Mitchell Trubisky back there. It's Carson Palmer. You had basically a wide receiver and a running back for in one player in David Johnson. And just like you said, Ajayi and Howard catch the ball a little bit, but they don't catch it enough to have that same upside. And I don't think the Bears offense is even as good as what Arizona was last year. No, it's terrifying. You can't draft Jordan Howard or Jay Ajayi in the first two rounds with any confidence whatsoever. So now I'm with you, man. Look at the very end of the draft. So we looked at the beginning of the draft, running backs to stay away from. Look at the very end of the draft. Give me two sleepers, two, just two deep sleepers at the very end of a seasonal draft that you cannot end a draft without acquiring. Like if you don't get that guy at the end of a draft, you're devastated. Like you feel empty inside if you don't get this guy at the end of the draft. Who is it? Yeah, and what are we looking for in very late round picks? We want high upside if something happens, right? So Jonathan Williams is my first one because now that Mike Gillisley is gone, he is the clear backup to LaShawn McCoy and his ADP is is totally down there. Nobody has... How does everyone not know about Jonathan Williams yet? I don't know, man. The depth charts are public. Go to playerprofiler.com. They are public. Forward slash depth dash charts. And you can see the depth charts for every team. And there's Jonathan Williams in an ideal situation. Yes. if He's that backup with no brand equity that you can get just way too cheap. Yep. Steal him from the McCoy owner. If you have McCoy, make sure you get him because if McCoy goes down... All of a sudden, this guy can turn from a late-round flyer into a high-end fantasy asset. Why not? Why not? He could be Jordan Howard. Yeah. Who knows? Why not? Why not? The Bills have a different coaching staff, but I firmly believe they're still going to be a run-first offense. And so if McCoy goes down, and we've seen we've seen even McCoy last year balled out, but he went down, and there was a couple times where you're like, well, he's done for the season, and he came back. You know a problem with LaShawn McCoy? What is that? is that he played hurt last year a lot. Okay. 
I am uneasy about drafting the players that played through pain the previous year who had to take totally those agree. shots, numb up those damaged areas, and then what happened? They damaged that area further by playing on it. Okay. So LaShawn McCoy played on a severe high ankle sprain last year. He played on a sprained knee. These are red flags to me. I wish, I so wish LaShawn McCoy on a wayward franchise, a lost season, would have just sat out the games. But no, he tried to play through it. He failed to play through it. He couldn't finish the games. He's out there hobbling around, making the injury worse. I'm terrified of LaShawn McCoy this year. Yeah, his situation and opportunity looks phenomenal. Phenomenal, right? Phenomenal. That's the thing. It looks like a trapdoor situation in fantasy. Yeah. I agree with you that when it comes time to click draft. Ooh, what about LaShawn McCoy trap door? That could be a name for a, a show. Oh, I like it. I love that. Because when it comes time to click on his name and actually draft him, I do get that queasy feeling like, okay, are you drafting a dude this high that's going to go down for the year in week two? And that's always in my mind. We have Corey Coleman singularity. We have LaShawn McCoy trap door. Which show title do you like the best? I think I like LaShawn McCoy trapdoor better. I like it too. Done. Love it. And then I think for similar reasons, we we should talk about James Conner. You want to do that? Really? You're going to do this? I love. I own Le'Veon Bell in a lot of dynasty leagues, man. This isn't cool. So do I. Why are you talking about James Conner? I, this makes me uncomfortable. We don't have to if you don't, if you don't want me to. Do you have anyone else? <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I really don't. I really don't. No one wants it. Does anyone really want to hear about Le'Veon Bell's backup right now? Anyone? All right, let's... I mean, if you had an erection anywhere in the world and someone started talking about Le'Veon Bell's backup, you would lose that erection instantly. Yeah, it would piss It would piss me the fuck off because I own Le'Veon too. All right, I can go Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn, yes. Now we're... Hey, that's a correct answer. Ding, ding, ding sound effect. It's Ted Ginn. I can't believe you're going to go James Conner over Ted Ginn. Fuck are you doing, Ben? My apologies. My I called apologies. you a smart guy earlier. Don't make <laughs> me go back and edit that shit out. Well, I love Ted Ginn. You said two guys, so I had to cut some people out. But look, it's similar to all these other wide receivers that we're talking about. Wide receiver sixty? Are you serious? No. Brandon Cooks no, is gone. That's not right. All those tarp. That's not right. Yes, that can't be. Yes, right. it is. That can't be. That's yes. a misprint. No, that's a typo. No, I, I refuse to believe that. I no. look at some of this no. ADP, and I just have no idea no. what ha- what is happening. I don't get it. It's foolish. It's what it is. It's foolish. Not only is Ted Ginn going to have standalone value because he's going to be on the field playing somewhat that Brandon Cooks role. I don't see him getting as many targets, but he's going to be the lid lifter. Drew Brees, one of the greatest fantasy quarterbacks of all time. The, the, excuse me, the, 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 the greatest fantasy quarterback of all time. Come on. <laughs> the, he will find him deep for some big games. In MFL 10s, I mean, wide receiver 60 in the exact format where you want a guy like Ted Ginn, you don't even have to decide where, when to start him. Ted Ginn got a tattoo on his lower back, a tramp stamp. It reads, best ball. Best ball. That's what I'm saying. So it makes no sense. But even in Dynasty and Redraft, where it's going to be a little bit hard to decide where to play this guy, he still offers upside. And then if, and that's what we're talking about for at least me, this is what I'm looking for in my late round flyers. If Michael Thomas were for some reason to go down, if Willie Sneed, no, please, no, were for some reason to go down, then all of a sudden, Ten Gid goes from the wide receiver 60 to a freaking wide receiver two, possibly. So that's the high upside I'm looking at at the wide receiver position. Okay, so we've talked about drafting tandems, teammates. 
I love drafting teammates. Love it. Love yeah. it. Love it. Love it. Love it. With because you. you get all the upside without the downside because you have the handcuffs built in. Yep. It's perfect. Built in handcuffs. Nothing better. Talked about it at running back. Crowell, Johnson, Tevin Coleman, Devontae Freeman, Burkhead, and Gillisley. What about the wide receiver position? Any wide receiver tandems you like? Um, yeah, I think there's a few wide receiver tandems that the ADP should be closer. And because they're so far apart, you can go ahead and grab them both if you want to ensure you're going to get some. And we've already talked about Corey Coleman and Kenny Britt with Britt's ADP being way down there. But one that interests me is Dante Moncrief and Kamar Aiken because I, I still like Moncrief, but we've been waiting and waiting and he still really hasn't blown up. His ADP is pretty high at 25, but then you've got this guy named Kamar Aiken all the way down at wide receiver ADP 82. So he's free. And if you take a guy like Moncrief, why not at the very end of your draft grab Aiken, who had 75 catches for nearly 1,000 yards just two years ago? Oh, by the way, Moncrief has never done that. And it's pretty – yes, that. he never has. Don't say that. Blasphemy! I know. I know. I apologize to all the truthers out there. This is Dante we're talking about. Dante Moncrief. <laughs> and I, look, I think it's fairly obvious that Philip Dorsett isn't going to become the player that the Colts hoped he would. So why not take Aiken and you get two wide receivers – that or, or I mean throw T.Y. Hilton in there if you take him earlier you get two wide receivers for kind of the price of one uh playing in an offense with Andrew Luck who could hit so that's one that interests me because the ADP is so crazy different and I don't think it should be that different I agree I own Kamar Aiken everywhere I've liked Kamar Aiken ever since he went to Indianapolis because I think that Philip Dorsett is a bust and I yep. love to chase the number three wide receiver on the prolific offenses. <laughs> Who are they? Well, Chris Godwin's one, right? <laughs> Michael Campanaro, <laughs> right? Ted Ginn we talked about. We love the prolific offenses that can support three fantasy viable wide receivers. And in the event of an injury, it's yep. absolutely wheels up for Kamar Aiken. Boom. He has negative brand equity. We talked about players like Ted Ginn having very little brand equity, damaged brands like Mike Wallace. Kamar Aiken never had brand equity. He's always been <laughs> a zero. There's never been a commercial ever released touting Kamar Aiken. Like, there's never been $1 spent on marketing Kamar Aiken. He has no brand equity whatsoever, but we like him because we love that depth chart, and he's not Adam Humphreys, right? Adam Humphreys was small and had zero athleticism. So we knew that Adam Humphreys was a opportunity-driven asset last year that will never repeat his target share. I mean, Adam Humphreys will never repeat last year's target share, ever, ever, ever. But Kamar Aiken, 106.3, 86th percentile height-adjusted speed score, he looks the part of a low-end X receiver at the NFL level. So if Moncrief struggles, Kamar Aiken can seamlessly take over his role. That's exciting. And at the very least, they could push T.Y. Hilton into the slot and have Aiken and Moncrief on the outside. I'm loving that. Yeah, Kamar Aiken is like the startup company that's quietly behind the scenes been making a ton of sales. Um, and they just, land, they just went on Shark Take and landed a a partnership, but nobody really realizes it yet and realizes the upside that could really come down the line. And that's exactly what we're talking about. If T.Y. goes down, if Moncrief goes down, all of a sudden now we're talking about the wide receiver two playing with Andrew Luck that you literally got for free. Yeah, Andrew Luck is that partnership people are not talking about enough. 
Yes, that's what I'm saying. Very important partnership for Kamar Aiken to be tethered now to Andrew Luck. I'm not a truther of Kamar Aiken. I don't think anyone's ever been a Kamar Aiken truther, but at 28 years old, he could be someone that people are winning fantasy leagues with. That's fun to win a fantasy league with a 28-year-old breakout. Now, I'm not saying you have to go to age 28, but is there a player for which you qualify for truther status on who is into his fourth or fifth year and he just hasn't fired for whatever reason, but you're not willing to give up hope? Yeah, there is. And he's now in an offense that, you know, isn't as sexy, as great as uh, New Orleans and Indianapolis that we're talking about. But I still I still have to talk about Robert Woods. Um, this is a guy that he's only 25 years old, so he's still young. Um, he has kind of produced early on in his NFL career. You're a Robert Woods truther? Yeah, man. It, it doesn't sound great, but just let me let me sell you here for a little bit. You've been this for a while? I, I've liked him the last couple of years, yeah. And I've, you know, with Sammy Watkins' injuries, I've been hoping that he would produce more and it hasn't happened, but I'm not ready to give up yet. He has had at least 40 catches and 550 yards in all four seasons, and he had a 97th percentile breakout age. His A lot of his other metrics aren't super impressive, but that breakout age intrigues me. You yes. go back. Incredible sophomore season at USC. True sophomore. Wow. Wow. Double-digit touchdowns, over 100 catches. Woo! 1,292 yards. I mean, it was phenomenal. And he's done, you know, quietly somewhat okay things at the NFL level. Well, if you look at where he was, okay. The- it's a challenging offense. It's a run-first offense in Buffalo that he's coming from. Now he's the number one receiver on that target totem pole. And I don't think it's up for dispute. Yeah, I totally agree. It's not a Jeff Fisher offense anymore. Sean McVay uh, being the head coach coming from Washington gets me a little bit more excited. And if you look at, we just talked about Buffalo. If you looked at what Robert Woods had to deal with, although he was the number two, the Bills threw the fewest passes in the league last season. They threw the second fewest in 2015 and the ninth fewest in his rookie year in 2013. The only year where he's been on a team that attempted top half of the league passes was in 2014. The Bills threw the 13th most, and that was Woods' best year as a pro. He had 65 for almost 700 yards and five touchdowns. That's okay. There you go. That's where the truther glimmer emanates from. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Because everyone needs that. Everyone needs that from their truthers. Like with Brian Quick. I like Brian Quick. Okay, love it. And I have that seven games in 2015 where he was a top 24 wide receiver. I have that. No one can take that away from me. And that's something I'll always hold on to. That's what allows me to be a truther. With Paul Richardson, I'm a Paul Richardson truther. Love it, man. Love Paul Richardson. I cannot forget that Paul Richardson was one of the dominant Division I wide receivers. 46.3% 46.3% dominator rating, 91st percentile at Colorado. That's incredibly high for a Division One Power 5 Conference program wide receiver. Upper percentile yards per reception, super early breakout age, 18.4, 98th percentile, incredible speed, burst. So if you like Tyler Lockett, why don't you like Paul Richardson? They're very similar players. That's the arbitrage play of the arbitrage plays in the NFL. Why are you drafting Tyler Lockett when you can get essentially inexpensive Tyler Lockett many rounds later? And there's literally no difference except Paul Richardson has two torn ACLs 
on his resume to the same knee. I mean, that's the difference. Right. But Tyler Lockett's also coming off a gruesome injury. Yeah, shattered ankle. Both players have gruesome injuries they're coming back from. Paul Richardson just happened to have torn the same ACL twice, but it's not like they can't fix it a second time. There are plenty of players that are productive in the NFL after tearing the same ACL. doesn't prevent you from ever being good. Why can't Paul Richardson supplant Tyler Lockett? We talked about the gifs of Russell Wilson practicing in California with these insane workouts that he's participating in every single day. Who's the wide receiver that he's playing catch with in California right now? As we speak, he's been working out every minute of every day for the last three months out in California. Who's the wide receiver he's throwing to? Who's he practicing with? I'm going to guess Paul Richardson. It's His name's Paul Richardson. Paul Richardson's the guy that's out there. It's Paul Richardson. It's Doug Baldwin. It's Jimmy Graham. Those are the players that have joined Russell Wilson to practice out in California. Tyler Lockett unfortunately can't. I'm sure Tyler Lockett would if he was healthy, but as of this moment, Paul Richardson is more healthy than Tyler Lockett, and they have shockingly similar profiles going all the way back to college. Yeah, and it, you know, you talked about Richardson's injuries, but in the short term, he's not the one returning from a shattered ankle. And as a Paul Richardson truther, I'm sure it was very fun to watch what he did in the playoffs. He showed the potential that is there if he gets the opportunity, and it seemed like the tide was starting to turn in the playoffs. Paul Richardson is hashtag good at football. And my face just starts to go forward, slowly, slowly, slowly toward the screen. I just start floating off my chair and just start floating toward the screen until boom. <laughs> and at the very moment that it couldn't possibly rise any higher, you trade him explaining it intellectually right like okay so here's why like i'm okay being edgy you know because it doesn't really matter you know yeah it's fine but i have to tell you it's still uncomfortable when you get this is disgusting and these people are despicable and they're just being too mean to people it's like okay uh please don't say that about us i'd rather not you not say that on twitter this little group of people that get together and they're like, we don't like him either. I don't like him either. Or let's tweet about it. It's, it's like, okay, guys, thanks. Yeah, I would expect all of those people, that little group of people, they are outside the walls of the town. So I treat them like zombies. I, I don't know. I Great brand equity in the Atlanta Blackfield. In the... <laughs> We're editing that one out. Can you believe Isaiah Crowell had 40 catches last year? It's unbelievable! I thought that was a misprint! 
Cognitive dissonance. Uh, I don't want to think about Ben Roethlisberger not being the quarterback. Ah, too much information. Can't even imagine that scenario. Ah! Did I ever tell you that you're a very smart man? Um, I think you have once or twice. I appreciate that. I appreciate that, man. We hope that it doesn't happen, but he could become a dead asset. Wow, a lot of death and destruction from Ben Cummins on the Roto Underworld radio program today. You're, you're killing players left and right, Ben. I called you a smart guy earlier. <laughs> Don't make me go back and edit that shit out. I mean, if you had an erection anywhere in the world and someone started talking about Le'Veon Bell's backup, you would lose that erection instantly. Um, A shooting star on top of a comet during an eclipse. Paul Richardson is hashtag good at football. And he's another dude that's free. Basically in startups. That was a show.